pass. If you found your place in Revelation chapter number 17, we'll read verse number 14, just one verse for the sake of time for our text this morning. John the Revelator pens these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that were with him are called chosen and faithful. Our Father, I pray that you'll take our text this morning. Use it, I pray, to encourage those that are here that are serving you, that are on fire for you and on the front lines. I would ask you that you may encourage them to keep on keeping on. Lord, I pray that you'll remind us this morning that if we're in Christ, we're on the winning side. Amen. And Lord, I would ask you that you'll be with those that may be under the sign of our voice, be it in this congregation or listening online, that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to those that may not be saved. And I pray that you may help them to realize their need for salvation and be saved. And Lord, that they would commit their life completely, wholly, and totally unto you. Lord, I pray that you'll help the sinner to turn from his sin and turn to the Savior. And I pray your blessings upon our pastor and Miss Nolina. May you continue to have your good hand upon them. God, given them your divine presence, your power, and Lord, may you give them healing according to thy good will and pleasure. Bless our church, I pray this morning. May you encourage the saint and the ones that are discouraged. May you encourage them this morning and help them, I pray, to be fully dedicated, surrendered, and put them back on the forefront of the battle lines. Be with our nation this morning as we desperately need you. And Father, I pray that you'll be with those this morning that stand in the greatest and most direst need. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage of scripture is dealing with the Roman Empire being revived. And the Bible says very clearly in our text verse that these shall make war with the Lamb. And thank God for the following statement, and the Lamb shall overcome them. Babylon, the great mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth and her allies are going to make war with the lamb. But thank God, according to our text, the lamb shall overcome them. And I'm glad this morning that I've been saved, blood-bought. I'm on the winning side this morning. And I'm looking forward to that day when the finality has come and heaven is set for eternity. And I'm looking forward to that day when we can spend eternity with the Lord. But I'm also glad that we can enjoy a little heaven along the way. In spite of the trials and the difficulties and the setbacks and the discouraging times and the uh, times of possible despondency, I'm glad that we serve a God who is never down in the dumps, who is never defeated and never discouraged. He's God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm glad that I'm on his side and he's on my side. I'm on the winning side. Amen. And according to our text this morning, we find that the lamb shall overcome them. But that is not my emphasis this morning. My emphasis is found in the closing statement of this text. Notice the Bible says that he is the Lord of Lord and the King, a Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And they that are with him are, and notice three things about those that are with him when he returns. 
They are called, they are chosen, and they are faithful. In Jude, verse 14 through 16, Enoch prophesied of the Lord's return. And he says, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. They are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in uh, admiration because of advantage. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul, writing the church at Ephesus, proclaimed the following statement. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. And I'm glad that when the Lord returns, there will be uh, many that are found faithful serving him. They are returning with the Lord when he returns. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse number 20, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. May I say to you that it is my desire to be found called, chosen, and faithful when the Lord returns. For the Bible says he shall find faith upon the earth. And I want to be found among the faithful. But notice in our text, there are three things that the Bible refers to those that will be coming with him. They are called, chosen, and faithful. Let's examine each of these very briefly this morning. First, let's look at the called. The called, the word called itself means to invite a someone. It is a, a name or a title that has been given. And so we find that there is a calling to all of those who will be uh, coming and returning with him that are called, chosen, and faithful. And my friend, the first calling that humanity receives is the call to salvation. And I'm glad back in 1977, somewhere around June of that year, that at the Dogwood Valley Baptist Church, I heeded the call to salvation. And I came forward and gave my heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you've never been saved and you've never heeded the call of God. May I encourage you to heed that call this very hour, this very moment this morning, to heed the call to come unto the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 14, Paul said, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find that the calling is an outward calling. It is others that have called and preached the gospel. It is others who have knocked on the door and invited you to church. It is others that have become aggressive soul winners that have gone out passing out gospel tracts and inviting people to come and know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And this call to salvation is an outward call. The truth of the matter, most of us this morning... If I were to ask you to stand to your feet, if someone had an influence on your life to come to know Christ as your Savior, the majority of us, if not all of us in this auditorium this morning, would stand to our feet. It's important this morning that we understand the call to salvation is an outward call. It is a call that you and I can participate in. I was going through some of my old files that I, I had in my office recently. And I came across a card that was written by a daughter of a man 
in Wyoming. I served as a missionary chaplain for right at seven years at the Wyoming State Penitentiary. And I'd preached in, at that time, there were 22 independent Baptist churches in the state. And I'd preached in 20 of the 22. I had a church in Wheatland, Wyoming that supported us. And one day I received a phone call from a lady that was in one of our uh, supporting churches and said, Brother Ellis, my dad is in the hospital in Casper, Wyoming. That's 126 miles from Rollins where we lived. And she said, he's lost and doesn't know the Lord. And the doctors have given him just a few short days to live. I'm just wondering, would you have the time or could you take the time to go witness to my dad and attempt one last time to uh, tell him the gospel of Jesus Christ? I informed her that I would do my best. I notified the institution I'd be gone for a couple of days. And I made the 126-mile trek north into Casper, Wyoming. I entered into the hospital room where he was confined to his bed. And as I approached the bed, I introduced myself and told him that his daughter, in concern for his soul, had asked me to come and try one last time to share the gospel of Christ with him. I'd never met the man, but I'd bathed him in prayer and asked the Holy Spirit of God to convict. And he said to me, he said, Mr. Ellis, I lived my whole life rejecting the gospel of Christ. My daughter has witnessed to me time and time again. Pastors have come by my way and tried to invite me to church and share the gospel of Christ. And I've rejected every one of them. And he said, to be honest with you, I knew she was going to send someone by to share the gospel with me again. And I was laying here in my bed steaming and wondering how I was going to reject them and reject the gospel. But something's happened in my heart and I just can't reject it anymore. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about the gospel of Christ. And I took my blessed Bible and I shared with him the plan of salvation. I told him, I said, sir, you're going to slip out into eternity here soon. And you need the Lord in your heart and in your life. You need to get this matter of salvation settled. And God sent me today to share with you one last time how you can be saved and know Christ as your Savior. I shared the gospel with him and tears started trickling down the side of his cheeks and running down into his ear. And he bowed his head and heart before God and prayed and trusted Christ as his personal Savior right then and there on his deathbed. The next day, I received a phone call from the daughter stating that he had passed away in the night. And she wrote me a letter later and a little card and said, Brother Ellis, thank you for taking time out of your ministry to go and to witness to my dad laying on his deathbed and said I was there with him when he passed and he was a man who had a tumultuous spirit about him and in his soul he had no rest and he had no peace. But since he got saved, although it was only a few hours afterward, since he got saved and gave his life to the Lord, there was a peace that passeth all understanding. And he died having the joy and the peace of God in his heart. May I say to you, my friend, that God will use you and I and our witness to put out the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are lost who do not know the Lord. Let us be submissive to the call of God. Let us be submissive to the will of God. Let us be willing to carry gospel tracts and invitations to our church and witness to folks and tell them about Christ. The first call to salvation is an outward call. 
And then there is an inward call. It is by the Holy Spirit of God. In Revelation 22 and verse number 17, the Bible said, And the Spirit of the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth saith, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. Yes. If you're here today as a sinner or happen to be listening to one of the messages recorded on the church's website, may I say to you, my friend, if there is a longing in your heart, if there is a burning in your soul, if there is a desire that you cannot explain, that there is something more to life, there's something bigger in life, there's something better in life, may I say to you, my friend, that may just be the inward a calling of the Holy Spirit of God, convicting you and trying to bring you to a saving knowledge of Christ. Christ. There is an outward call, but then there is that inward call. It is the Holy Spirit. I remember another man some years ago that we tried to witness to on numerous occasions. He was in prison and uh, he was rejectful of the gospel. And I'd preached to him on a few occasions as he come to scoff the gospel. And I'd pass out many multitudes of gospel tracts inside the institutions. I remember one time a gentleman came to me and he was an openly professed a homosexual and he said, you preachers, you're always passing out gospel literature. He said, that's so simple, anybody can do it. I said, if it's so simple, sir, why don't you do it? I pulled all my tracts out and handed them to him. I said, if it's so simple, you pass them out. He came back about an hour later. He said, don't you ever do that to me again. I said, but it's a simple thing. All preachers do it, right? He said, I about got beat up several times on the yard. He said, don't you ever do that to me again. And the Holy Spirit of God used that simple thing in his life to begin to convict him of the gospel that was written on the track and the messages that he had heard us preach in our chapel services. Just a couple of days later, he contacted me. He said, Chaplain Ellis, I'd like to talk to you, if I may, please, sir, in your office. Now, when they wanted to talk to me, that was no big deal. But when they wanted to talk to me in my office, that always concerned me. They had a hostage crisis, lasted for uh, several hours. So I remember right upwards of 12 hours. And um, the guidepost wrote an entire article on it and asked for permission to share uh, my testimony on what happened. They held the hostages in my office in the maximum security unit. And I said, I'll be glad to give you the testimony and the article, provided you do not strike one single word that I share with you. And they published the whole story. And of course, I plugged in the plan of salvation. That was my intent all along. And in the guidepost, they published the salvation testimony. And while they were in my office, long story short, there was a little white gospel track a church had provided at the time for us and it had on the front of it in red letters, God is able. Nothing is impossible with God. And one of the counselors looked over on my desk, saw that little track, picked it up while they were being held, her and another counselor, a hostage in my office uh, by two prisoners and uh, they claimed that verse. They'd been saved but they were backslidden for many years. And during that time, have been held hostage and their lives threatened. In fact, at one point, they were given one minute to think about their life before they would have their throats slit from ear to ear. And they claimed that verse. And during that time, they uh, had rededicated themselves to the Lord. And God did a miraculous work. 
they let him go. And um, I'll not go through all the details, but as I considered that, the Holy Spirit of God began to convict them and the prisoners who held them hostage later was saved and gave their life to the Lord. They had sat under our preaching. They had read gospel tracts. They had uh, sat under some discipleship classes that I had conducted. And my friend, may I say to you, the outward presentation of the gospel of Christ, the call to salvation, the Holy Spirit of God used it to call inwardly and draw them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Now you may be sitting here this morning under the sound of my voice and concluding that I have witnessed to my loved ones time and time and time again and to no result. My friend, may I say to you, there may have been no outward result, but who can tell what the Holy Spirit of God's doing in the heart? Right. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. The Holy Spirit of God will take every witness and every testimony and speak to the heart of those without the Lord. We find that there is an inward call. Those who refuse God's grace will certainly be eternally damned. And so there is the call. There is the call to salvation. And then there is the call uh, to Christian conduct. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here this morning, but I believe that I've met many Christians over my 40, uh, going on 43 years of preaching the gospel, that I believe they're saved, but they don't live as if they are saved. Right. In fact, you can put them in the room with uh, dozens or hundreds of lost people, and you'd never be able to spot them. They would filter right in with the rest of the crowd. May I say to you, the call is not only the call for salvation, but it's the call to Christian conduct. One of the weak links of Christianity in America, as I've traveled to the six habitable continents around the globe, one of the weaknesses in American Christianity is Christian character and integrity. Christians in our generation is apt to lie as a sinner. Christians in our generation are as apt to cheat as anybody else. We are called to Christian conduct. I've been doing a study. I'm not sure what the Lord will lead on our hearts tonight for the service as we pray and seek the Lord, but I've been dealing in our ministry with how Satan attacks the mind. One of the ways is through defilement. Defilement is from without. Or excuse me, defilement comes from within. And then discouragement, which comes from without. May I say to you, my friend, that Christian conduct, we are called to be in fellowship one with another. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I can probably tell how dedicated of a Christian you are, and you can tell how dedicated of a Christian I am by those we fellowship with. What fellowship hath light with darkness? And some Christians seem to thrive on hanging out with those who know not God and know not the gospel of Christ. May I say, and it's, as one old preacher put it this way, we become what we associate with, and we become those whom we associate with, I want to surround myself with preachers and Christians who are dedicated, consecrated, holy, and separated from this world and surrendered to God because I want to be like that. We're called into Christian fellowship. We're called into holiness. 
The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And we are called into Christian conduct and holiness. And then into liberty. For brethren, ye have been called into liberty. I'm glad for the liberty I have in Christ this morning. Sin held me in bondage and captivity. I tried to quit the sin that I was involved with before I was a sinner. I turned over more new leaves, enough to uh, put leaves on the largest tree on the planet Earth and to clothe it in all of its greenery and glory, except it would have been dead, dying branches and withered leaves. But my friend, I say to you, we're called into liberty. We can't turn over a new leaf and expect it to last. We can't try to keep the golden rule and expect it to last without Christ. And so I say to you this morning, we're called into Christian liberty. We should have no baggage and no bondage in our life that is dragging us back into the old past. One of the things that has taken impact on our society in America, especially during the COVID virus and the lock-ins, is I've known of several Christians that have could I put it in southern terms, Georgia terms, since I was born in Chatsworth, Georgia? They have gone south. I don't mean geographically. They've gone south spiritually. They are no longer committed to God. Their hearts have grown cold and distant and indifferent. My friend, we have liberty, but let us not take that liberty for granted. And then we're called into Christian conduct to have virtue. And the Bible says in the book of 2 Peter 1.3, he says, him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And this morning we need some Christian virtue. They are called, they are chosen, and they are faithful. And then there's a calling into the ministry. Calling for salvation, a calling to Christian conduct and service, and a calling into ministry. The Bible says that he called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He called Moses out of Egypt. He called Aaron from among the Levites. The Bible says in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. My friend, may I say to you this morning, there is no calling, no calling of any occupation to be greater than that, to be a child of God or a messenger of God, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a servant of the most high God. Thank God when he returns someday, he'll return with 10,000 of his saints. And I'm going to be in that number when the saints go marching in. It's a calling. They're called and they're chosen. It's a vocational calling. You know, I... Realize this morning, and I'll not be redundant on my personal call to the ministry. I've shared it numerous times in this pulpit and my salvation. And I was starting to say, I'm sorry, I just can't get over it. But I'm not sorry, I just can't get over it. It may have been 43 years ago, but it's as if it happened yesterday. And God took the burden off of my heart. He lifted the, the guilt off of my soul. And I'm glad this morning I can stand and proclaim that I heeded to the call of salvation, the call of service and Christian conduct, and the call to the gospel ministry. Yeah. And then notice if you would quickly with me this morning. Not only are they called, but the Bible said they are chosen. Now, this morning, I would not preadventure to even lean toward or have you believe that I am hyper-Calvinist. And if you don't know what hyper-Calvinist is, you can just thank God you don't know the term. 
They believe we don't have a choice over the matter of salvation. God predestined some to heaven, some to hell, and you don't have a choice in the matter. Somebody said to me in the tulip theory, the five points of Calvinism, said, Brother Ellis, how many points are you? I said, zero. Not even close. But I want to say to you, here in this passage of Scripture, the Bible said they are called and they are chosen. Now these are those that have been chosen for ministry and chosen uh, for service of the Lord, not so much chosen for salvation. You say, preacher, do you believe God uh, chooses men for salvation? Well, let me put it this way, not in the hyper-Calvinist sense. I believe God chooses everybody for salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God calls all one to salvation, everyone to salvation. It's not God's will that any, any, any should perish, but that all, all, all should come into salvation and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was I chosen? Sure I was. The sinner died and went to hell? Chosen? Sure he was. It's God's will for all men to be saved. But he, is his, he has some that he chooses for specific callings and purposes. Remember the Bible said many are called and few chosen. And I like what the little girl said when she got tongue-tied and her mother asked her what she learned in Sunday school. And uh, she replied to her mom, said, we learned in Sunday school that many are called, but most are frozen. <laughs> of course, she misquoted the verse, but it's not far from the truth, was it? Chosen to be appointed, to be ordained. To be chosen by God himself. And God has called multitudes, but from the multitudes, only a few are called into the gospel ministry. Matthew twenty-two fourteen: for many are called, but few are chosen. In 1 Timothy 1, 12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now, I'll be honest with you this morning. I don't know why God called me into the ministry. If I'd been God, I probably wouldn't call me into the ministry. I probably wouldn't call a lot of people that I know into the ministry. In fact, I kind of feel like one preacher said many years ago, he said, the whole world better thank God that I'm not God. The chosen. These are not only called, but they are chosen. Saul and Barnabas was chosen in Acts 13 in verse number 1 and 2. We find that there are those that God has chosen for his ministry. I wonder if there are those sitting on the side of my voice this morning that you've heeded the call to salvation and service and Christian conduct to be separated and sanctified and set apart for the master's use. But God's calling you for full-time service and you're unwilling to yield, unwilling to give in, unwilling to throw in the towel and surrender. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.26, For you see your calling, brethren, have there not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called? But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, 
and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Well, I suppose maybe that's why God called us. I kind of feel like what my uncle said many years ago when I was a young man, and I had left home at an early age of 13, we're coming from the state of Texas and going through the state of Kansas. We're in a horrific automobile accident. We're in a little Volkswagen Beetle. The driver went off the road and we rolled on numerous occasions. In fact, there are photographs where there were literally debris scattered all over a field. I woke up with a seat, the back seat on top of me in the middle of a field. They came out with a a lift and a large flatbed truck and they picked up that car piece by piece and put it on the back of that flatbed truck and hauled it in. The driver was killed and I was in the hospital and they found out who my parents were and contacted them and my dad drove to Kansas and he took with him one of my uncles that's in heaven now and when they picked us up from the hospital and we were going down the road in the interstate headed back toward home, which was Georgia at the time, my uncle turned around and looked at me and, he, in the, and I was in the back seat. He was in the passenger seat. He said, Terry, you are so sorry and mean and low down. The only thing, son, you could ever turn out to be is a preacher. I got so mad. If I wasn't so beaten, battered and banged up, I believe I'd have hit him. I was mad to think that I would be a preacher of all things. And shortly after that, just a few years, I got saved and gave my life to the Lord. And the morning I went forward and yielded my life to Christ and salvation, immediately the Lord began to deal with me about preaching. I went to his funeral. He passed away a few years ago of a heart attack. And when I walked in the back of the funeral home, my Cousin came up to me and says, Terry, hurry, get your Bible. You're going to have to preach Uncle DV's, uh, your Uncle DV's funeral. I said, why? They've got the preachers lined up. They said, one of them's sick and can't come. And the other one, just about 20 minutes ago, had a massive heart attack. He's in the hospital. We have nobody else to preach. Well, I might have been the last resort, but my Uncle DV was right. I was so sorry and low down and there was nothing else I could do but stand and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I shared that story at the funeral. And of course they all laughed. But he had some insight. And so when he comes, he's bringing the called, those that have been saved. He's bringing the chosen, those who have been call, called into his service and have yielded to serve him. But then last but not least, there's a third individual and faithful. Faith implies unswerving adherence to a, a person or an oath or a promise by which one is tied to commitment. They're consecrated to it. <clears throat> Listen to some of the synonyms for faithfulness. Loyal, constant, steadfast, resolute, to be loyal implies firm resistance to any temptation to desert or to betray. Are you faithful? Have you deserted or betrayed your Lord? As did Judas. Someone has said some years ago, and I remember it, there are certain statements that are made that seem to 
stick like daggers in my heart. And I heard a preacher some years ago that said, you, can, you have two choices in which you, you can live. You can live your life like a Judas or a John. You choose. And so this morning we must choose. Will we live a life of loyalty like John? Or will we live a life of betrayal like Judas? Not only loyalty, but consistent. And it stresses a continuing firmness of emotional attachment without necessarily implying strict obedience or promise of vows. And may I say to you this morning that God wants you and I uh, this morning to be loyal and consistent and steadfast, which implies steady and wavering allegiance and conviction. Many are selling out their convictions these days for convenience. And then to be resolute, that implies a firm determination to adhere to the cause of the purpose. And I say to you, my friend, I have resolved to be constant and, and resolute and loyal to my master. I was facing a crisis or at least a critical situation in our ministry some years ago. And someone said to me, Brother Ellis, I know you're taking a stand for truth and right, but you know it's going to cost you. And I said to them, if it costs to stand for integrity and in what's right, then so be it. I don't know those that are in our midst this morning that have served in our U.S. military, and I'm not choosing one above the other. But those who have served in the Marines, there is a statement that is used, only two words, simplify, or simplify Dallas. And that literally means always faithful. Well, I was never a United States Marine, but I want to be simplified, always faithful to my master. May I say to you this morning that Joseph, the son of Jacob, he obeyed God even when faithfulness brought him difficulties. He was sold as a slave while carrying out his father's orders. He was thrown into prison because he was faithful to his master Potiphar. Joseph was always faithful to God and in due time was uh, set down at the right hand of Pharaoh, ruler of Egypt. Moses was faithful in all of God's house according to Numbers 12 and verse number 7. And may I say to you, it means that he obediently did what God asked him to do. The Israelites were enthusiastic and they, but yet they grumbled and they were idolatrous and Moses did not allow the people's attitude to deter him in his own commitment to God. He was an imperfect man like you and I. He too made his notable mistakes, yet he consistently did God's will the best he could. I remember, and I know he smote the rock when he finally had enough of Israel's complaining and bellyaching. I remember many years ago, I was in Oregon and we were going down the road and I was facing, again, some difficulties and some hard choices in our ministry. And Dr. Garris, the late president of the Rock of Ages Ministries, known for his powerful preaching, very candor and straightforward. I was driving, he was in the pastor's seat and he said to me, he said, Brother Ellis, 
speaking of the circumstances I was in, he said, what are you going to do? I said, Brother Ron, I've gone too far to turn back. I'm going to press on. And in only a gentle way, Brother Garris, he reached over, gingerly held my hand. He said, son, that is exactly what I hope to hear you say. And he prayed with me. Simplify. I don't know what you're facing this morning. Our nation's in turmoil. Our government's in a mess. We're facing difficulties and challenges on every hand. But I want to be simplify. Always faithful to my God. Always faithful to the God who saved me. The God who called me. And the God who keeps me. As I prepare to bring things to a close this morning, the Bible says in Luke 16, 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust in, the, in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous man, and who will commit to your trust the true riches? You see, success seeks status, but excellency speaks, seeks satisfaction. Success is in relation to others, but excellence is in relation to God's potential in our lives. Success is being esteemed by people, but excellence is being the best you can be for your master and your Lord. You see, worldly success seeks to please men, but spiritual success seeks to please God. Excellence deals with your character and integrity. What honestly motivates you, worldly success or spiritual commitment? You see, the truth of the matter is it's determined upon our passion. What is your passion this morning? Nothing wrong with making money, but is your sole purpose and goal in life and your passion is to make money? To just live comfortable? To be accepted? What is your passion? General George Patton, only one time in his entire career as a general, Use the word surrender. And when he used the word, it was in the context that Americans do not surrender. Just one time he used it. My friend, may I say to you and I this morning, as Christians, we should not surrender. We should not surrender our integrity, our character, our commitment, our dedication to God. The key to faithfulness is passion. What is your passion this morning? In the picture, in Pointer's great picture, Faithful Unto Death, as Vesuvius is destroying the city, people are fleeing in the painting, the lava and the molten ash is coming down over the city. While people are running and others are dying in the streets all around him, the Roman soldier stands his guard, willing to give his last breath for Rome. And my friend, may I say to you and I this morning, while those are falling all around us, and while the world around us is in chaotic, let us 
be Semper Fi, always faithful.